Welcome to The Gathering Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. This word, it's a word that was planted on my heart a few weeks ago. I believe it was on the 7th. We had our kind of snow day where it was snowing in the morning. We had our service in the evening. And I was just up here during that time of worship and and it just felt the Lord's heart and, and some of the things that he was saying directly to me. But as we continued through the week, as we were away at this conference this past week, I felt that there was something more to it that I wanted to share on uh, this morning. But it's one of those words that if I were just to tell you the words, it, it's too simple uh, sometimes for us to really grab a hold of the significance of it. And so what I want to do this morning is to, to work our way up to this simple word, to this simple expression of the heart of God. Because sometimes in our walk with God, it's the simple things that are easy to grab at face value, but they are also very complex. There's also a depth to them that if we would allow the words to really get in us, that they would begin to do a work in us, and that it would actually change the life that we see here in the natural. Uh, an example I'll give you is just a simple statement that we pro- probably say all the time. You just have to trust God. You just have to put your trust in God. And, and this is such a simple statement, and we know as believers that we can trust God because He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving. He's omnipresent. He's uh, you know, immutable. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and He is the best place that we could ever put our trust. It's a simple truth. It's a foundational truth that we have to believe as believers in Jesus. But then we start to think about this statement and what it really means. Trust God. We're trusting in a God that we cannot see, in a God that we have not heard his audible voice. We're trusting in a God that it's really hard sometimes for us to perceive and to grab a hold of, and yet we are putting the trust of our entire eternity in who he is. It's simple, and it's profound, and it's fundamental. It's so important that we recognize the truth of what God says in his word that we can trust him. And this is why when we read through the gospels, we see Jesus speaking to his disciples in a very simple way at times. And there's a specific passage that I want to look at here this morning to start. It's found in Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. It says, at the time that the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's the question. Jesus, who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And in all honesty, maybe they should have got smacked upside the head at this point. If we know anything about Jesus, the servants of all mankind, they're asking, who's the greatest? We want to know who's going to be the best when we get up there. But Jesus, instead of correcting them, he doesn't say, hey, that's, that's not a good ambition. He responds to them by bringing up a child. In verse 2, it says, In calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn, there's an action in that, and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It would be easy for us to look at this passage and to think, well, of course we're supposed to come to Jesus like children because children 
They believe anything. Children, if you tell them something, most, more likely than not, they're going to receive what you have to say. And, and that is in part what Jesus is saying. Come to me like children. Believe me. Believe what I'm saying. But if you've ever spoken to a child and tried to explain certain things to them, sometimes you realize that it's not as easy as it may seem. With certain things, it's, it's not a big deal. If we talk about Bible stories, we tell our kids about Noah's Ark, and they're like, oh, cool. Like there's animals, there's a big ship, the animals come on two by two, the earth is flooded, we don't go into all the gory details, and then all the animals are released and humanity begins again. Kids can pretty much grasp that one. David and Goliath, right? There's a hero and there's a villain. There's a good guy and a bad guy, and and David believes God, and he goes to fight the giant, and he takes his sling, and he hits the giant in the forehead, and and he comes crashing down on his face, and David cuts off his head. I don't know if we always tell that part either, but that's a good part of the story, right? There are stories like Jonah and the whale, and it's like, okay, yeah, I still got that one, but I have a few questions. Like, Jonah got swallowed by a fish, and then he stayed in his stomach for a couple of days, and what was he doing in there, and what did he eat, and what did it smell like? Like, there's more in these, in these stories, but still, for the most part, a child is not going to have a big issue in believing what God has done in the past. But then we get into other topics, maybe like the Trinity, and it's like, wait a second, God is one, but he's also three. He's God the Father, and then he's also Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so Jesus is God. Is God Jesus? Is Jesus the Holy Spirit? Who's who? Who's the boss? Who's in charge? How is that possible? And then, okay, so they live in heaven. That's great. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, but I thought he lived in my heart. But is my heart heaven? Does he live in both? Does he have dual citizenship? How, how are both of these things true? it starts to get a little bit more complicated. And speaking of heaven, when I get to heaven, what's it going to look like? What's going to be there? Can I see it now? What's it all about? Okay, I have a house in heaven. That's awesome. My daughter Ellie is like, I want to go see my house in heaven. And I'm like, absolutely not. We're not going to heaven yet. There will be a time. It's great. I want you to know all about it. But she's like, why can't we go see it? I'm like, well, there's a process involved and we're not going through it yet. There's the simple truth, there's the more complex truth, but, but Jesus said, if you are going to come into the kingdom of heaven, you have to do so like a child, because a child is able to believe, a child is able to imagine, but Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, if you're going to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you have to turn and humble yourself to be like a child. You have to step into this reality, right, of what it means to walk in the humility of the kingdom. And this word humility is one that we really need to stop and just to to think about here this morning because we have a decent idea of what humility is. But when we look at the Greek and we look at what this word means in its fullness, it's a very descriptive word. And I believe it would be very helpful for us today to look at this word and to understand what it means for us to put ourselves in the posture of humility so that we are able to enter into the kingdom of heaven and we're able to enter into the greatness of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus didn't say, hey, that was a bad request. 
He said, if you want to be great, this is how you do it. You come to me like a child. You come and you humble yourself. So let's look at this word humility in Greek. It's the, the Greek word tapanoa. And there's a few things in looking at the helps word study on this. The first uh, definition of humility, to humble oneself, is to get low. It's to get low. And, and this is something we'll talk about more so as we're, we're going through this. But to get low, that's not something that usually comes natural to us, especially in a physical sense, to, to put ourselves down. But, but the first place is to recognize that humbling ourselves is to, to get low, to posture ourselves in that way. It, it means to become fully dependent on the Lord. To humble ourselves means it's a continual act of dismissing reliance on ourself. And I like one of the words that it uses. It, it talks about self-governance. Self-government. It, in other words, to humble ourselves means to recognize that we are not called to have the ultimate position of authority in our life but that it is Jesus Christ as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that that is the space that he occupies, that he is the only one worthy of that position. To humble ourselves means that we recognize that and we tear down any system that we have built in our own ability, in our own strength, in our own understanding that acknowledges itself above the supremacy, the Lordship of Jesus. When we humble ourselves, we are emptying our carnal ego. It's exalting Jesus as the Lord all in all. And what it does is it reconnects us back to the true source of our life, of our purpose, of, of the answers to the questions that we have, to the places where we are in lack. It is, it is what we need to fill us with who he is. If you remember the example of the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's where we are connecting back to the source of life. Disconnecting from the idea that I have all the answers, that I can make it all work on my own. It's humility, it's the act of posturing ourselves in a place of submission before God. Once again, Jesus says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, your posture matters. The method of how you get there, it matters. Because unless you can give up control to me, you will never connect to the life-giving power that I have made available to you. Now going back to, to children just for a moment, you know, it, it is really easy sometimes to see in children, uh, they, they make us aware that we are not always in control like we think that we are, especially if we're raising children. I just thought I would throw this out there. There are times where my daughter Eliana will look at Jamie and I, will make a decision she doesn't like, and she'll turn to us and say, you know what, you're not actually the boss. Jesus is. She's five. You're not the boss, Daddy. Jesus is. And in some way, like, I can't argue with that. 
it's true, Jesus is the boss, but obviously, you know, parents and, and, you know, what God has put into place in the family structure. But children will often point you back to this place of recognizing, oh, I don't have the control that I thought that I did. But there is something true about children as we are talking about coming before God, which is that they are innately and inherently willing and desiring to put their trust in somebody or something. A child may not always agree with your decisions, but they want to know that they have you to go to, that they have a place of security, that they have a place of comfort, that they have a place of provision. And when they really don't have the answers, they want to know that there is someone that they can turn to who is going to help them understand what they can't understand on their own. To ask questions, to seek answers, to be vulnerable, that is to be our posture before the Lord to be in a place of humility, to be willing to get low and to recognize before Jesus that we have the ability and the responsibility to say, Jesus, I don't have the ability on my own. I cannot do it on my own authority and in my own power. And so I am choosing to, to go in this position of submission to allow you to do what only you can do. This is the act of, of coming to Jesus, of turning and humbling ourselves like a child. But there is another uh, opportunity here that, that we often face. There's not just the ability to submit because sometimes, as I said, submitting is hard. In the good times, submitting is not so difficult. But what about when things aren't going the way that we think that they should? What about times where we feel like we don't have what we need, where we feel like we're in a place of lack, not understanding that God is our source? Thank you, Christian. You see, there are times in our life, once again, where we take on the responsibility to achieve and to earn what Jesus has actually already paid for. We do this in the spirit. We do this in the, in the natural. Especially when we take the time to look around at our friends, at our, not really friends, but just people we know on social media, at the people around us, and we start to measure our lives up against theirs to see if I have what I really need. And so when I don't feel like I have what I need, I have to, to start to step up my game a little bit. I have to start to measure myself against what others have. I need to work harder so that I can have the things that other people have, so I can drive the car that they drive, so I can live in the house that maybe they live in. I start to question myself and, and wonder, am I really good enough? Am I really far enough along in life? Like maybe we're in ministry, maybe we're just in our careers and we're looking at other people thinking, I should be here, but I'm only here. So I really have got to work for this. I've got to strive. I've got to do everything that I can to keep climbing higher and higher and higher, realizing that there is only so high I can go on my own. And once I get up here, hey, it's not actually that stable, is it? And when things start to shake... And when things start to move, and when our house is actually built on the sand, and the waves come, and the wind comes, that this is not the place that we want to be. You guys can't even handle watching me up here. 
But how often in our lives are we stepping out of a place of submission and trust in who God is and trying to take matters in our own hands, trying to control, trying to pursue the things that we think are going to bring us the outcome that we really think that we need to have and we're not in a place of submission, we've actually, let's just say this is the throne, we've put ourselves back up there. We've not said, Jesus, you're the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. You are, unless I really need something. And then I've got to be in this place. I got this, God. And we do this a lot. There's this up and down journey Like I said, it's easy to submit when things are going well, but what about when the bill comes in the mail and we don't have the money to pay for it? What about when we get the diagnosis from the doctor and it scares us? What about when the relationship falls apart? What about when our faith is tested? What about those times? It's in those times that we have to recognize we have an option to come before Jesus in the kingdom of heaven and to submit before him and his lordship and to say, Jesus, you are the one that I can turn to. You're the only answer that I have. There is no plan B. There is no other option. There is no break glass in case of emergency. You are the one or I can continue to tire myself out going up and down and up and down trying to make it work in the natural. You see, this word humility, this act of submission, it is the entryway into the upside-down kingdom. That is not what we expect it to be. We think we've got to work harder to achieve more. And Jesus said, I did everything that needed to be done. And your starting place is to be this place of submission before me so that I can bring you to the heights that I've called you to, so that I can empower you to be who I've called you to be, so that I can give you the wisdom and the strength and the discernment. Because that is what I have made possible for you. No one's telling me to slow down, but. We look at this account in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 15. Now Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, Others say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Can I tell you that in my estimation, there is no question that is more important than this very question that Jesus is asking? He's not just asking this question to his disciples. He's asking this question to us. Others may say that I am this, this, and this, fill in the blank. Culture may say that Jesus was a good man, that he, that he was killed for his beliefs, that, that he did some good things, maybe even he did some miracles. But Jesus stops them, and he says, but who do you say that I am? If we are not able to answer this question for ourselves, Can I tell you that our foundation is always going to be shaky because it is always going to be built on something else besides who he is? But who do you say that I am? And so he asks them this question, and Peter steps up, and he says, Jesus, you are the Christ. 
You are the anointed one. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him and he says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. My Father who is in heaven. Jesus doesn't say, Peter, you finally got it right. You say a lot of things. You're a little bit thick. You put your foot in your mouth a lot, but you got this one. Like you were paying attention. You saw the miracles that I did. Finally, you understand. No, he said, Peter, this was not given to you by your own understanding. What is he saying? He's saying, Peter, you did not get this by elevating yourself in your own ability and your own thinking. This was not your own thought process, but rather you positioned yourself in such a way that you were able to hear the revelation of my father speaking to you. You positioned yourself to hear my voice, to hear the voice of the Father, and you have heard this, and it's on this revelation that my church is going to be built, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I need to tell you today that the posture of the church must be a posture of submission, not a posture of intelligence. Not a posture of man's ability, not a, process, a, a posture of our solutions of what we think is going to work and how this nation is going to be saved and all these other things. Our posture must be submission to the only one that is called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because if not, well, we see what our buddy Peter does again. Fresh off his revelation, he takes his foot, puts it back in his mouth. It goes on to say that Jesus, from that point forward, begins to tell them about all the things that are going to happen. He tells them about the fact that he is going to be given over uh, to the authorities. He says in verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter, fresh off his revelation, says, Jesus, I don't know if you know this or not, but kind of a big deal, okay? Because that revelation that I got, remember? The, the church is going to be built on that revelation. And, uh, you know, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm going to bind things. I'm going to lose things. Like, that's pretty cool. So let me pull you aside and let me tell you how this is going to go. There's no way that you're going to go and do that in Jerusalem. We're not going to allow that to happen. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. I'm, I'm, I'm Peter. I'm the rock. <laughs> no, no. You, you stepped out of a place of submission and humility. You elevated yourself in the flesh in your own thinking. And out of that place, the enemy was able to actually use your words to bring a plan that was contrary to the word of God. Our position must be Submission. Our position must be one of humility because as soon as we step out of this place of humility before God and we go back into our own understanding, guess what? We're going to make a mess of things. We're going to get our own results. We're going we're to get our own solutions. You know what else is associated with this? All the anxiety that goes along with it. All the fear that's connected with it. All of the elf effort and, and the things that I have to do to make it work. It's all connected to that. 
But Jesus said, come to me like a child, humble yourselves, and then you will be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. But so often, what we end up doing is we start here in this place of submission, recognizing Jesus, you died for my sins. I accept you into my heart. I know that I'm a sinner. I cannot do it without you. Come into my heart. I accept you as the Lord of my life. And then for some reason, we step up and think, oh, all right, guess I got to do the rest of this on my own. So let me start to do all the things that I know how to build my kingdom. We step out of a place of grace and we step back into a place where we have to earn it, where we have to do in order to be, where we have to act in order to receive, where we have to put the burden on ourselves in order to accomplish all that God has for us. We have to position ourselves appropriately in order to receive the revelation that God has for us. Jesus continues to go along these lines when he speaks in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 27. But Jesus called to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would first among you, whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The revelation of our submission before God is so significant, it's so important, it's so fundamental, we have to recognize that in order to follow Jesus, we must become a servant, uh, we must be in submission to God, we must be in submission to our brothers and sisters, we must love others, we must act as he acted. This is so important. To answer that question, who do you say that I am? We have to be able to answer that question. We have to say you are the way and the truth and the life and no man comes to the Father except through you. We have to recognize this as as the simple, complex, all-encompassing truth of who Jesus is. But we cannot stop there. Because as with everything in Jesus, he doesn't stop there. That is the starting place. It is the foundation, but a foundation is great unless you don't build on it. There must be something built off of that revelation. Jesus said to Peter, I'm going to build the church on this revelation. It's a good start, but don't stop there. We have to ask ourselves the question, why do we submit? It's great to just say, submit to Jesus, be obedient to him. And it is because he's the king. He is worthy of our glory and our honor and our praise. But I have seen a lot of people walk away from Jesus who had this foundation at one time and walked away from it because things got hard. They trusted in their own ability. It failed them, and then they blamed God. It cannot be that we stop just there. It's the most important starting point. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But when we come to this place of recognizing who Jesus is, the natural manifestation, the natural byproduct of our position of submission before him is that we begin to recognize who we are, why we are, that he placed us here for a reason, that, that we are not here as humanity just to, to do some kind of experiment and to, to fill time until Jesus comes back, but that he has placed us here for this time, in this season, in this place. 
And that it is only through him that we will be able to see, to understand, and to receive the reality of who we have been made to be. That posture, that submission is what allows us to enter into the kingdom and to see with greater clarity, to not see through the eyes of the flesh any longer, but to see through the eyes of the Spirit. So why do we, why do we submit before God? Why do we submit before Jesus? Is Jesus in any way insecure about his position as the King of kings and the Lord of lords? No, he has been so before the foundations of the earth. He has no insecurity of any kind. Is he an earthly ruler that would demand the subjection of his followers to bow in front of him so that he can feel better about himself? No. So why do we submit before Jesus? Why do we go into this place before him? It's because if we don't, we will never be able to behold him As John 1 says, the word that was made flesh, the one through whom all things were made and without him nothing was made. If we are going to see who he has made us to be, we have to be able to see him first. If we are going to enter into our purpose as children of God, we have to be able to recognize who he's made us to be and why he has placed us here. Are you processing this morning? Okay, just want to make sure you're with me. We have to know not just who we are, but why we are. It's amazing to know verses like Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I called you, I set you apart and made you to be a prophet to the nations. It's great to know Ephesians 2.10. We've quoted it Wednesday night and on Sunday. Amazing verse that we are God's original masterpiece, that we are his workmanship, that he has actually created us to do good works, which he has put in place in advance. It's so important to recognize 1 Peter 2.9 that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. We have to know the truth of what the word says about us. But if we don't recognize and start to realize that this, this position before Jesus is so important, then those will just be words to us. They won't be reality. We have to know them as truth. My words are truth. My words are life. We have to know that they are meant to have an impact on us. Because otherwise we will continue to try to climb that ladder step after step after step, trying to to earn, trying to become, trying to to realize that that I I can be who I want to be if I just try hard enough. But that's self-righteousness and it will continually lead us into comparison, competition, and self-reliance. We will never be able to raise ourselves high enough. And I fear that many of us find ourselves in this place more often than we'd like to admit. We find ourselves having that tug of war between these two. We don't understand why Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. But the reason for all of this is because he needs us to understand this principle of sonship. I just want to make sure you're all listening here today. I just, just reconnect if you've drifted. It's about this word, sonship. It's about recognizing who he is as our father. In humility, we go into submission, and submission re- results in the reality of who we are as the children of God. Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 29 says, Now before faith came, 
we were held captive under the law. We were imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by works, by trying harder, by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Can we get to that place without submitting first? No, you are now sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. There's a difference between being a servant and a slave based off of what was the law and being a son or a daughter walking in the freedom of faith. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we read Galatians 1 and he said, what gospel are you guys believing? You entered in through faith and now you're going to try to finish it off by works? It's not going to happen. Let's just go to the graph real quick. Let's just look at what the difference is between these two things. If we're under the law, the old way of doing things, let's just say this right here represents the law, our ability to make it happen. If we are under the law, we are captives. We are under a temporary arrangement, a guardian. We are slaves. We have to earn. We have to strive. We have to compare ourselves to others to see where we are. We have to compete and we have to rely on ourselves. That was the old way of doing things. It was dependent on us. But when we enter into a place of submission before God, seeing Him with clarity, recognizing that we are sons, understanding that we have faith in what He has done, we step into a place where we are no longer captives, but we are free. We're no longer in a temporary system, but we have the eternal God. We are now sons. We can now receive what he has for us. We don't have to strive for because we already are. We are complete. We have an assurance of who we are in him and we have the ability to trust in him. The question that we have to be able to answer when we look at him is who is dictating our true identity now. You see, very often we're looking at ourselves trying to figure out where we measure up. We're looking at ourselves as we climb the ladder just trying to find out, all right, if I get to here, am I good enough? Mm, not, not yet. I got to keep going. Am I good enough? Nope, not yet. I got to keep going. And I'm looking and I'm trying to measure myself against the systems of this world. But can I tell you that there will never be enough steps? There will never be enough strength. You will not be able to do it on your own. And I just want to show you this because there's a difference between holding this in comparison and placing this down. Because when I put it down in front of me, what is it reflecting now? That which is above. When I come into submission before Him, I'm no longer looking at who I am and my identity through the lens of what I can do but I'm now submitted before the Father, looking and seeing Him and allowing my reflection to be affected by the light that is coming from who He's made me to be. I'm almost to the point of that revelation that I got a couple of weeks ago. Galatians chapter 4, 
verses 3 through 7. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. Listen to this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the old system, the old way of doing things, under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then you are an heir through God. If we are ever going to be who God has created us to be, if we're ever going to step in the fullness of who he has called us to be, we have to recognize our position as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Now, I want to ask you something here today. These words that I'm going to share with you, they need to be received from a heart as a son or a daughter. They need to be received through a heart of submission. I just want to ask that you would close your eyes, that you would even just put your hands out in front of you as you just received this revelation, this simple truth, these seven words that, that God impressed upon my heart. Lord Jesus, as we hear your words, I pray that you would allow them to penetrate deep inside of us and that in this truth and in this reality, that there would be healing that would take place. That there would be healing that would take place in our physical bodies as well as our emotions, as well as in places of hurt and pain inside of us. Church, the words that he spoke to me were very simply this. You are my child. And that is enough. You are my child and that is enough. Enough.